Today on Abounding Grace, a wonderful promise to cling to in troubling times. You see, not everything in life's going to taste good. Some things are going to be bitter. Some things are going to be sour. Some things are going to be difficult. Some things are going to be unpleasant. Some things are going to be unwanted. But when God works it together in the right quantities, in the right amounts, in the right mixing, and the right temperature, and the right timing, we know that it's being worked out for good for those that love Him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. When you think about the greatest words ever written, many great works and writers come to mind. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway, even political speeches like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll take you to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and some would say one of the greatest verses ever written. I think you'll find it a source of comfort and encouragement the next time you're hit with a trial. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher, and before we head back to Romans, he has a few other encouraging verses in mind that he wants to share with you. Let me show you a few verses that I think will encourage you. Flip over to Psalm 27. So maybe there is something right now that you are crying out to God with unanswered questions, and the answer back from heaven is just to wait. Wait, son. Trust me, daughter. I love you, and I care for you, and I feel your pain. I know what it's like to see my son sacrificed. I know what it's like to give away my only begotten. And here he's just saying, wait, maybe that's the Lord of the Lord for you today. And that's the word from heaven for you today, to wait. Look at Psalm 27, verse 14. Encouragement in those difficult times. And we know that all things, he says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Just wait. And then flip over to Psalm 37. We have another word, another encouragement in tough times. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now look at Psalm 37, verse 7. Yes, God's working even in that. Yes, he's at work. And he says in Psalm 37, 7, rest in the Lord. It's a good thing to rest in the Lord. It's a good thing to rest in him and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. No fretting, just wait. Rest. Wait for that answer. Receive God's encouragement. Okay, so five or ten or twenty Christians have come along and they've shared with you Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Receive it. Take it in. Let its truth just minister to your heart. Look at Psalm 130, verse 5. It's amazing how trials can get us to the place where we'll even fight the truth of God's Word because feelings take over. Expressing emotion is not a bad thing, church. Having emotions is not a bad thing. But I'll tell you, it becomes a very dangerous place when your emotions lead you toward disobedience. And you're so caught up in the emotion of the event that you're not carefully waiting or resting 
And as you're caught up in the moment, your emotions take you toward a direction that, well, you're disobeying God. Our emotions, Lord would have us to have them surrendered to him. He says in verse, one, in verse 5 of Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. You know, you talk to any math teacher, and they're going to tell you that 2 plus 2 is what? It's 4. It's always 4, right? It's not 5. It's not 6. 2 plus 2. You can do it with your fingers and count them. 1, 2, 3, 4. No problem. But you can't get to the place where 2 plus 2 equals 4 and say, you know, that doesn't, I just don't feel like that's right. I don't, I don't feel like, I think 3 is getting a, a raw deal here. And I think 2 plus 2 should really, really be 3 because I really feel like it's wrong for 2 plus 2. I mean, I mean I'm very emotional about this. 2 plus 2 is, and, and so, you know, your son, little Johnny, goes into class and says, teacher, 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 I just want, I feel really bad for 3, and I want 2 plus 2 to equal 3 from now on. You know what that teacher's going to do? He's going to pause class and say, kids, I'll be back in a moment. Going to go grab a phone and call mom and dad and say, get in here. There's a problem with your boy. And yet, in the absolutes of life, our feelings can cause us to want things to be different than what they really are. And what they really are, we're reminded that God is at work in all things. And how careful we must be with our emotions how careful we must be with the realities of life, allowing God to show us what he's trying to do in our lives. Back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28 now. The third thing that we see is that phrase, work together. And we know all, that all things work together. A lot like that recipe that we looked at last week. That the end result that what we want is that cake. But in order to get to the cake, we need to have all the ingredients in the right measurements. We've got to get the flour out and measure it out. We've got to get the sugar out and measure it out. We've got to get the lemon juice and measure it out. We've got to get the cream of tartar. That's right. I've gotten plenty of emails saying it's tartar. But it's a lot better and it's a lot funnier when you say it tartar. So we're going to stick with that. It's what it says on the little deal. I found one. But you got to have all those ingredients. you got to pour some eggs in in just the right time. And then you got to have the recipe. And then you've got to have the oven at the right temperature. And it needs to go in for the right time. And they all work together, don't they? For the end, the good, the cake, it tastes good. But if you decided for dessert, instead of waiting and putting all things together and putting it in the heat and stirring it and mixing it, if you decided instead to serve the kiddos a cup of flour straight, they're not going to be happy with you. Because flour tastes disgusting by itself. And so does a cup of six raw eggs or straight salt or cream of, yeah. That stuff just sounds disgusting. I don't know what it is. I've never tasted it. But put together, right? They work together for the end. And God can see that, that end in your life. He can see it, and we'll see it in just a moment. That there is something that God is doing in your life, and he's working it out, and it's working together. God takes the good and the bad, the sweet and the sour, the precious and the despised, and he mixes them and works them together. Number four, he says, and we know, that's number one, that all things, number two, work together, number three, and number four, for good. Now, your Bible doesn't say bad, right? What does your Bible say? Does it work for? 
good, right? It doesn't say bad. If your Bible says bad, bring it up after the service. I'm taking it away. You got the wrong translation. It says for good. It says that God is taking everything that come into our lives and he's working them together for good, for good, your good, his good, his glory, your glory in his goodness. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29, would you? Some of you, you know this verse already. I mean, this is one of those verses that you are very encouraged in. Jeremiah chapter 29, it's to the left. You've got the prophets toward the end of the Old Testament. You've got what's called the major prophets and then the minor prophets. It's not because of their importance, but because of the size of the book. And so if you go back, you see Isaiah. If you found Isaiah, Jeremiah is right to the right of Isaiah in the major prophets. Jeremiah, look at verse 11 of chapter 29. Here we have, sitting in captivity under the rule of Babylon, God is encouraging because there is a great time of discipline right now for the children of Israel. They are being disciplined. Discipline isn't fun, is it? No, it's not fun receiving it, and it's not fun giving it. But discipline is necessary. It reveals to us the love of the Father. A loving father, a loving mother disciplines their kids. And God the Father disciplines us. I mean, I don't like discipline at all. I don't like doing it as a dad. I'd, I'd rather not. I'd rather avoid it. And you know, when we discipline our kids, whether they say it or not, you know what they're thinking? Who disciplines you, man? You're laying this heavy trip on me. Who's disciplining you? And then you just say, just bring me the Xbox, okay? Just unplug it and bring it here. You're not playing it. And if you keep this up, I'm putting it on eBay. So just bring it here. But you know, there are times in our lives where God disciplines us. The next time you're being disciplined by God, God's teaching you something, something's going on in your heart, something's going on in your life, some difficulties there, and it's revealed all this sinfulness in your life, and God wants you to deal with it, that's a great time, dad, mom, to bring your kids in and share with them what God's doing. So you know what? You always, remember how you always think of how dad's being disciplined? They, you know what? Come here, son, let me show you. God's brought something into my life right now that's caused a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, and I'm under it right now. And in the pain and the sorrows, I was praying and seeking him. He's revealed a couple of things in my life that he really wants me to deal with. And it really has, requires humility, doesn't it? Just to bring your kids in, or maybe it's a spouse, you don't have kids, or, or even a friend, an unbeliever or a believer alike, that you can share that, yes, God does discipline. We don't like it, and we don't want it, but we need it. That's where they're at right here in Jeremiah 29. They're being disciplined. But in the discipline, listen... For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Though the thoughts of God in times of difficulty are for peace, not evil. They're to help us and to grow us and to change us. There's peace and hope. And notice, in the difficult times, look what's going to happen. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and go to pray, and I'll listen to you. You're so good to us, Father. It says you'll seek me, and you'll find me when you search for me with your whole heart. We get used to not searching for God with our whole heart. We get to this place in our lives where we just don't give God our best anymore. We just don't give God our all anymore. We, we just aren't in a place where we're sold out anymore, and there are times that God will use things in our lives to bring us back to the reality of selling out for Jesus again and making it real. And so he is working all things for good. God says, my thoughts towards you are not bad. They're not evil. They're for good. I love you, he says. I know you're sitting in Babylon. I know you're in captivity. I know it doesn't feel good. I know it's difficult. But I'll tell you, through this time in Babylon, you're going to pray. 
And through this time in Babylon, you're going to cry out to me. And you're going to search for me like you never have before. You know what's going to happen? You're going to find me. And we're going to come back together. We're going to have sweet fellowship together. And you're going to learn that I'm working in all things. I'm there with all things. And they're being worked out for good. For good in our lives. Well, back to Romans chapter 8 now. The fifth thing that we see as we break down the verse is for who this is for. This isn't a blanket promise that goes out to everyone that hears my voice today. Everybody that's tuned into the radio, this promise isn't for you. To everyone that's tuning in on our website, this promise isn't for you. For those of you that are sitting here, this promise isn't for everyone. It's only for believers. This is a promise that God gives to those who have faith in him. As he says at the end, he says, And I know that all things work together for good, to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, the unbeliever looks at life, watches the news, sees the pains, and what they conclude is it's all chaos, it's all confusion, it just must be my fate, it's my destiny, I'm stuck, I'll never get out from this, this is my lot in life, there's no hope for me, I might as well just live my life until it's ended, and I'll just take all the junk, and I'll become very angry and mad at everyone because he sees, and she sees, the unbeliever, no hope. But for those that love God, and those that are called according to his purpose, They understand the sovereignty of God. The unbeliever says, it's the sovereignty of self. When things get difficult in my life, the unbeliever says, I'll take care of it. I'll jump in. I'll work harder. I'll spend more money. I'll stop that. I'll take justice in my own hands. But for the believer, it's not the sovereignty of self. It's the sovereignty of God that you rely on. And you cry out at night saying, God, I know you'll be my defender. I know that you will take care of this. I know that you've got my back. And you trust in God. And it really stops a lot of that behavior that's very hurtful to other people. This promise isn't for everyone. It's only for believers. The good news, of course, is that those of that are hearing my voice right now can come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, and this promise becomes yours. See, the problem with sin isn't so much that it hurts you, but that it hurts God. Sin has destroyed relationship with God. Sin has slapped God in the face, if you will. Your sin, my sin. And we need someone to stand in the gap for us and help us. We need somebody to plead our case, and God has provided that perfect sacrifice in Jesus. And in just a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity to receive the salvation of your soul, to realize that the gap of sin can be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, this promise is for those who love God, for those that are called. Remember last week I shared the story of Joseph and all that Joseph went through. You know there's an opposite side to that story, It's his dad's side of the story, Jacob. See, at the time that Joseph is in Egypt, Jacob is really going through things. Jacob's life was really one of manipulation. He was the heel catcher. He wanted to take advantage of everybody. That was the kind of guy he was, even to the point where he's going to take on God and wrestle with God. And an attitude like that and a life like that leaves a lot of damage. And Jacob did leave a lot of damage. He's sitting there, and he's coming to the conclusion that he's reaping the consequences of a series of bad decisions, Jacob is. He had to go the long way to understand God's love. And along the way, he learns, well, Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. He's in prison. Reuben has already been disgraced, as you read, from his children's life. Judah's been dishonored. Dinah's been defiled. Rachel is gone. And he sits there just wondering. Because on top of all this, the famines hit the land. And there's a lack of food now, and he's wondering, are we even going to make it? 
And on top of that, there's been a call from the new leader in Egypt, and the new leader in Egypt says, send me Benjamin. Those of you that know the story, that was Jacob's pride and joy, Benjamin. You send me Benjamin. I want Benjamin now. Flip over to Genesis. Let me show you Jacob's attitude here as he needed to learn that God was for him, not against him. But see, he also had to battle his emotions. Look at Genesis chapter 42, please. Genesis 42. Genesis is easy to find, isn't it? Way back at the beginning, Genesis 42. I would encourage you to take time to memorize the books of the Bible. It will be one of the most beneficial things you'll do. Genesis 42, look at verse 36 now. With all this swirling around him, look at his conclusion. It says, Then Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon's no more. And you want to take Benjamin away. And listen, all these things are against me. That's not true. Because on the other side of the story, we already know that they're not working against him. They're actually working for him. But that's how he sees it. These are all against me. I can't see any way around this. They're all against me. See, Jacob was only looking at the outward circumstances. That's what he was focused on. He had, by this time, just set aside his faith in God in these circumstances and said, you know, it's all against me. He's only looking at the outward circumstances, allowing fear to totally overtake him, and he's fallen into a time of despair. And all these pieces, his conclusion isn't that God is working them together for good, but his conclusion that they were against him. It exasperates the problem when we fall into fear and desperation. We must never measure our problems by what we see, but by the God that we serve. Because there's two choices, right? We can either have a big problem and a small God, or we can have a very small problem compared to a very good and great and awesome God. It's a matter of our choice. Jacob was wrong here. All these things were not against him. Not only were the things in his life not against him, neither was God. And how we make that mistake too when we conclude that God is not in all the situations for those of you that love him, those of you that are called. And notice, according to his purpose. In all the discussion today about purposing and all the purposes that are thrown around the church today, listen, you only need to be concerned with one purpose, and that's God's purpose for your life. And he has it. It's in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You are becoming more and more like Jesus. Your faith is being stretched and your faith is growing. The addictions are being broken. The bondages are being taken away. You are clean and sober today because of Jesus Christ. You love your family today because of Jesus Christ. Some of you have the testimony that you're alive today because of Jesus Christ. Some of you have the testimony growing up in a Christian home that the heritage of your family has been such that now you love God. You know why? Because of Jesus Christ that's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. What a blessing that is. That now we have the privilege of passing it on to the next generation. Jacob was wrong, and we are too, when we say that all these things are against us. They're not. The church family's not against you either. The leadership's not against you. Because you face some things that you don't understand or you don't like, be careful with your conclusions, keeping your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The things in Jacob's life, just like the things in your life, and many more, were in the hand of God, being worked out for his good and the good of his family, even though it was a very painful time for him. You see, not everything in life is going to taste good. Some things are going to be bitter. Some things are going to be sour. Some things are going to be difficult. Some things are going to be unpleasant. Some things are going to be unwanted. But when God works it together in the right quantities, in the right amounts, in the right mixing, 
and the right temperature and the right timing, we know that it's being worked out for good for those that love him, those that are called according to the purpose. It makes sense then, doesn't it, when you and I go through trials that our love of God is questioned and it's undermined. It's like we, we really have that sense. And it might be a moment and it might take some time, but you begin to think, do I really love God through this? Can I love him in the good times? Yes. And then the question comes, do I love him in the bad times? Sometimes we're not so quick to answer that. But God, he's working it out in your life. He loves you. He's taking care of you. You're going to be able to look back and be very encouraged by him. Will it take the pain away? No. No, you're going to feel it. It'll get easier. It'll lessen a little bit. The, 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 the heaviness will get lighter. You'll get to the place where you're daily casting your cares upon the Lord because you know he cares for you. You'll come to that place where you're going to lay your burdens at the feet of Jesus. You're going to take his burden because his burden is really light. His yoke is easy. Romans 8, 28 is meant to be an encouragement and a comfort to us. Like that soft pillow that at the end of the day you need to rest. You're going to rest on the truth of God that he is, well, all things. We know it, right? And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know, by the way, that's a great way to memorize scripture, to break it down just into pieces like that and memorize them. Boom, boom, boom. If you've never memorized the Bible, any part of the Bible, start with Romans 8.28. Do you know that that's something you should be doing? In Psalm 119, David cries out, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart, O Lord, so I might not sin against you. It's a good thing to take the word of God, not only in your hands as you do, but also in your heart. To hide God's word in your heart, to memorize scripture, because you never know when the Holy Spirit's going to bring it up and encourage you with it. So take Romans 8.28, let it be an encouragement to you. Pack it away in the back of your mind. Pack it away in your heart. Remembering that, yes, God is at work even in this. Yes, God's in it. God's working it out. God's using this somehow. God cares for me. He hasn't left me. He hasn't forsaken me. He's not done with me. God is on the throne, and I serve him today even as I served him from day one. He's faithful and has shown himself faithful all the way. Amen? Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Romans right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for being part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. Pastor Ed, as you were teaching us today from Romans 8.28, a question came to mind. Some might be thinking about all the evil in our world today and wondering, is this verse saying that God is somehow causing all of that to happen? In other words, is God the author of sin? Would you address that as we close? You know, Larry, that's a really good question. And I can understand how someone would come to that conclusion, not only here in Romans 8.28, but in some other places in the Bible as well. So let me answer the question as directly as I can. God is not the author of sin. Neither is he the author or origin of sinful temptation. Uh, what comes from God are tests and affirmations that bring us into a deeper relationship with him. And, and he uses the circumstances of life to bring about a teaching moment, or what I like to say, a discipleship moment, that everything in life is a discipleship moment, both with God and with each other. And so, no, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of evil. Evil exists today as a consequence of the fallenness of man. Evil 
comes to us today from sin. It is a consequence of sin. It is a consequence of Adam's failure being handed down throughout all of humanity. But evil is not outside the ability of God to use it to fashion and form circumstances that even evil must submit to the all-righteous, all-holy God. Great question. Thanks for asking it. And may you guys listening to Abounding Grace, thank you, and the Lord bless you today. Well put. Thanks for that clarification, Pastor Ed. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Pastor Chuck Smith called The Man God Uses. If you're a Christian, I'm sure you'd say you want to be used by God. But sometimes we're not quite sure how to get there. In this book, Pastor Chuck Smith examines 14 characteristics found in several people in the Bible that were used by God in powerful ways. I know you'll be encouraged and will gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 